how's your day going? It's going well. Mm-hmm. It's going well. I'm excited to talk with you. I know it's been a long time coming. <laughs> <laughs> and I have some questions for you too. So Uh-oh. hopefully they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You're, you, you are, um, you're doing great stuff with this podcast. I know that you were hesitant to to start it and to begin it, yes. but I love the issues that you're talking about. You know, everything from business to mindset to mental health to daring to do good things. And yes, it's been really interesting. You know, isn't that what life is about once we cut out the noise? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, that's more important than ever. Mm-hmm. We were always in this rat race of going nowhere. So it's mm-hmm. all happening. Mm-hmm. Are you at work today, Tara? Is it Tara or Tara? It's Tara, Tara. but I answer to almost anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm at work today. I'm actually quite fortunate because I get to still work through the pandemic and mm-hmm. uh, come to work and make sure that the that that we're still able to do what, what we are, uh, what our mission is. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, to help kids and teachers and mm-hmm. parents and families and that sort of thing. How did you get involved with YouthLink? Is it a very new initiative as well? Well, the yeah, the, mm-hmm. the, the building that we're in right now is just about five years old. And um, I was uh, as a journalist, I, was, I worked with CTV for 20 years, believe it or not. I'm dating myself now. <laughs> um, and uh you know, you know that you get to do a lot of interesting things when you're a member of the media and a reporter and you get to interview, you know, people doing great things in the community and, and making a difference. And, right. and uh, then you see the other side of things as well. And that's, uh, you know, going to murder trials, uh, interviewing gang members, um, seeing victims' families and talking with them and at, at a, at a, t- at a, at the worst time in, in a person's life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a, you know, one of those defining moments in your life. Yeah. And I was sitting uh, at police headquarters in a little interview room. And I was sitting across from a pedophile. And this pedophile had done some really awful things to little girls. And he was, it served his sentence, his full sentence didn't get parole. He'd served his full sentence and there's no choice but to let him out. And he was considered to be such a danger to the community that he was um, being monitored by the, by, by an elite unit within Calgary police. And it's the high risk offender unit. And um, when I was talking to him about the restrictions that he was under, like he couldn't go near schools or playgrounds or anything like that. And Zach, it was like, you know, when you're looking evil in the eye, do you know what I mean? Uh And I was looking evil in the eye that day. And, um, I just wanted to be part of something that I didn't know. I didn't have a clue what it was going to be, but I just wanted to be part of something, um, that was contributing more to the most vulnerable of our society. And that's, and that's children. And that's, so I uh, left CTV after 20 years and uh, interviewed for uh, the job at uh, at the Calgary Police Interpretive Center, and I was very fortunate to be successful. And what are some things that you guys do, or what initiatives are you trying to achieve? Well, we are, you know, 
every museum that you go to across the world, every museum educates. And we are technically a police museum and we educate, we educate about um, uh, crime prevention, community policing, and just some awesome police experiences in history. So that's what we do. And, and, and the crime prevention is a really big part of what we do because, um, you know, we know that crime will always exist, but we remain firmly committed to the principle that it's better to divert the problem than deal with it after the fact. So um, give you a quick example. And this is, this was happening when this happened when I was uh, being interviewed for the job. And there was this 13 year old girl, Calgary girl, who was texting a boy and they decided that they were going to meet in downtown Calgary. And when she got there, there were two adult males and she thought she was talking to a 13 year old boy, but she wasn't. And uh, she made enough noise that she attracted the attention of passersby and they came in and and helped um, with the situation. And when something like that happens, like the police machine kicks in, it's um, like investigations are launched, charges are laid, help is given to the family. But if you talk to the families or the victims, even the police officers, all of them would say they would rather they wish that, that the crime had not been committed in the first place. And that's what we try to do. We want to educate those, those little darlings right. about the issues that they're going to be confronted with. And we talk about some pretty provocative stuff, but we do it in a really safe place. And um, at an age when they are willing to take in the information and trust the source as well. How many years has this initiative been going on, this program? Uh, it, it had been operating out of downtown Calgary for 20 years. And, um, and then I got hired on to build this new facility and it's attached right to police headquarters. So it's been having an impact for quite some time. What are some of the historic monuments or things that you have in the museum? Oh, well, um, we focus a lot. Like when you walk in, okay. have you been here before? I haven't. No, no. Well, for example, like right outside my office, I've got the best office ever because right outside my office, there's a full scale version of the Hawks helicopter suspended from the from the second ceiling. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, it's fantastic. And and um, so we we feature uh, all kinds of, of of police exhibits like canine and tack and patrol and major crimes and and um, and and the public safety unit, because we want to we want to lift the veil on on policing, because we know that community policing um, it, it starts with that relationship with the community. So we make it really interesting. Like, who doesn't want to fly around in the Hawks helicopter? Like, like you know, with the infrared and you know all that kind of cool yeah. stuff. But one of the one of the most common complaints that CPS gets is the noise from the helicopter. So what we decided to do is to do a virtual ride along. So you can step into this, uh, into this exhibit and there's a virtual ride along that takes you um, from liftoff to apprehension of, um, of, a, of, a, of a suspect and you get to see uh, why the helicopter may be hovering in your area or, or for the kids, it's about the communication between officers like on the ground and in the air. And, and uh, so that's the kind of thing we just kind of want to, we want to 
show what CPS is all about and what they do and why they do it. Has it been an interesting transition from CTV to CPS for yourself? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it has. Yeah. I mean, you're used to change too, Mm -hmm. though, aren't you? Oh, yes. This, for example. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, why did you start this up? Why did you start the podcast? I think uh, a part of it was communication. Take it to the next level. You know, I'm such a curious guy in general. So I played around with photos, played around with videos. I'm like, enjoying social media. What's next? What else can I do? Now, for the last five years, dabbling in and out of podcasting. But I think during January, it was kind of a resolution. If I'm going to do this, it's been five years. Just do it. Don't hold back and see where you can go. Yes. And even though you have a skill set in one area... You have no idea how those skills are going to translate into another area or if you're going to fall flat in your face or it's going to be your wildest success. Too. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what I was feeling with, uh, you know, you read, you, you anchor and you report on the news yeah. and you have no idea how that's going to transfer. But something you said just a couple of seconds ago, it's all about the communication and uh, coming together to have a vision and to create a team that will help you do something. And, and, and what we did, there was no roadmap for it. As far as we can tell, there isn't another uh, center like this in North America. So we kind of had to push some boundaries and we had to make people some, some people uncomfortable with what we wanted to do. But now there are uh, police services from all over Canada and the U.S., coming to look at our business model and and how and our approach to crime prevention and community policing. Is it open for the general public as well to walk in or well, yes, pre-COVID? It is. Yeah. Yes, right. I know. We um yeah, it is. It's open to the public and we'll be expanding our hours once the pandemic is uh once we get to our new normal. Yeah. yeah. Because we've um for the for the school programs uh, we would fill this place. 8,000 kids would be registered in six minutes. Wow. So, and that's for the, or so our entire school year would be filled up. So all the other days are for public members. And we've got like true crime nights. Like, like you talk about the history, yeah. the historical aspect of things. And Calgary was a much different place a hundred oh, years ago. Oh, yes. You know, and, and some of the things that happened here and, and, uh, and how the com- not only how the community has evolved, but also mm-hmm. how the policing yeah. and approach to policing has evolved as well, because that's a really important thing. I'm just obsessed with the history of our city and, uh, you know, look at different things, obviously, like how stars came about and who helped fund stars and yes. how did Hawks come about? And that's an interesting story. I mean, obviously, there was a loss of an officer on Deerfoot Trail, but here we are today with Hawks. Yes, that's, that's right. You know, and you, you hit the nail on the head, Zach, because we want to show how out of the greatest tragedies right. comes innovation and progress. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, one of the best examples. Uh, it was in, yeah, several years ago now where uh, Constable Sonnenberg was uh, with his partner um, trying to apprehend a suspect who had stolen a vehicle and was going at high rates of speed throughout the community. Wasn't he trying to drop the uh, spike strip? Yes, Constable Sonnenberg. That was back in the day when uh, you would put a spike belt across mm-hmm. a roadway 
and it would deflate the tires and then and then the 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 it would come to an end um but he was the, the vehicle was going so fast that he was not able to um deploy it completely and he was run over and killed and that is one reason why you don't see police chases in Calgary anymore. Uh, you don't, we, they uh, don't normally um, deploy the spike belts either, but the uh, helicopter was being used, was being tested at that time. And they decided um, that had they had the, the Hawks in place that Sonnenberg's death may have been prevented. So, throughout the museum. So we showcase the fallen members. We, we've got the Hawks helicopter hanging from the second ceiling and the, and the Hawks ride along. And there are other historical um, uh, police stories that we show how things have changed throughout the years as well. And the investigative yeah. techniques too. Kids love that. I would love that. Yes. I don't know why. Any age, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Like for example, um, we have a room downstairs where uh you know, you've learned the science of blood spatter Ooh. and, uh, and, and DNA. And, and we've got all of these, you have to solve crimes when you come here. And, but it, but for adult nights too, we've got some really interesting things. Like we've got, uh, the officers are so wonderful in sharing their information. Like, um, detective Dave Sweet is one of the best homicide investigators in, in Calgary. And, and he will come in and give presentations on some of the cases that he has, uh, and it's and it's fascinating. It's just what goes on behind the scenes that nobody will ever know about is is just intriguing to me. Right, because you know we'll see it on the media where it's like, well, what's going on? And they're like, well, further investigation is still going on, and that's all we yes. hear. Yes, but you know that the homicide guys are you know sleeping at their desks oh, because yeah. they're working like so many hours and yeah it's it's a real um it's a real commitment yeah and a sacrifice of course yes mm -hmm. yes and dave talks about that as well the officers do you know we're um you know every officer i think and I, and I'm not one, I'm a civilian, yes. but uh, I have the privilege of working with them and, and, you know, they all join the service uh, for their own reasons, but we get officers stationed to youth link and um, they're out before they come here, they're out doing patrol or they're in working in different units. And uh, they say that for the opportunity to have a chance to keep kids from going down, you know, a path, it's the best part of their policing career so far. And you wouldn't think that, but it's, but it's really important. Like, for example, when we were building this place, um, we knew that we had to build a gang exhibit and we've got a healthy relationships exhibit. We've got an, a cyber safety exhibit, a drug exhibit, bullying, and in addition to all the really cool police exhibits. But how do you build a gang exhibit? And, 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 what messages you want to get out to kids? Right. So um, I uh, when I trans when I transitioned from CTV um, to uh, Youth Link, we were in the middle of a gang war, and uh, I think the murder count was at twenty five bodies. Twenty five people had been killed, and shots were you know. This shots was the fired. early two thousands, right? Yeah, that's yes. right. Well, and even into the late two thousands as well. Mm -hmm. And every time we heard a shots fired on the 
on the news scanner in the newsroom, we knew, okay, the gangs, you know, there's, there's another shootout or, or what have you. So, um, so the, so we went to the gangs and guns unit and we said, if you could, you're dealing with the, with the baddest gang bangers in the city. If you could do anything to, or say anything to kids to stop them from going into that lifestyle, what would it be? And, and so we got a meeting with them and I'm on one side of the table and all these hardcore detectives are on the other side. And these are the detectives that I would see when I was covering the crime scenes or the gang funerals. And it was a little intimidating to say the police. And they're in the middle of these investigations and the shootings and, and all that kind of stuff. And I said, so what would you like to tell kids, you know, about how about to get into gang? And, and um, from there, the greatest thing happened. And, you, and this, is, this has taught me, uh, you never know what, what you can do unless, if you don't ask for it. And so they, we brainstorming and um, one, of the, uh, one of the gang detectives uh, ended up getting an exclusive interview with one of the worst gang members in Calgary. And his name is Michael Roberto. He was a Calgary kid, grew up, born in Calgary, went to school in Calgary, but dropped out of school to start a, a, a Daladope business in the drug business. And one thing led to another and they created these gangs and, and uh, he became the enforcer and he killed five people that we know of. And um, he thought that it would look good to do this interview for his parole hearings or in front of the judge. I mean, he wasn't doing it out of the goodness of his heart, I don't think. I think the only regret he had was that he, said he got caught. And um, so, but what we got out of it is the kids sit in a jail cell and they listen to a real gang member from Calgary who recruited kids their age and manipulated them and conned them into joining their gangs and into a high-risk lifestyle and, um, and lured them in with, with the recruiting techniques and before the kids know it, it's too late and they're in that lifestyle for good. And we know that there's only two ways out of a gang in prison or, 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 or in a casket. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And um, previously, uh, you know, officers or teachers would stand up in a classroom and say, and, and show a picture of a dead guy with a toe tag and say, well, don't do drugs, don't get into gangs. Um, but when the kids hear and watch, a real gang member talking about how he recruited kids your age, your age, um, you can hear a pin drop. And so that's what resulted in, and, and we drew, after that meeting with the Gangs and Guns Unit, uh, we went out for a beer to finish our conversation and we ended up drawing the exhibit on, the nap, on a napkin in the restaurant. And, and so when you have people who've got the same passion and the same vision great things can happen so the purpose for a better tomorrow i think for the youth that's and everyone. right that's right because because we know that that one bad decision can change the trajectory of a of a young life and and what we teach in here um you know parents might not know what's going on they might not know how to talk about it uh they might not know the issues and same with teachers they might not know how to how to how to approach some of these topics either, um, like cyber stalking and you know inappropriate you know 
sharing of, of photos or bullying or, or um, you know, drugs when you're dealing with fentanyl and, and crystal meth. Um, we talk about that. We go there here and they, we do it in a really safe place where they can ask any question they want because mm-hmm. kids are really curious and they're going to find out some way. And um, it hasn't happened very often, but we've had the odd parent not allow their kids into our exhibit. It happened in the drug exhibit. And one um, parent didn't want their kids to even know what fentanyl or cocaine looked like. And, and they thought that if the kids don't see it, they're not going to know it exists. Well, you, well, that's, that's not the case. So instead of finding out from some, you know, con or, or gang member or drug dealer, then we like to have those discussions where um, they can, um, you know, find out the real information and, and we can give them tools and strategies to deal with things mm-hmm. if they're ever in those positions and in those situations. Cause we know, we know it's going to happen. Oh yes. You know, it's the same thing that when growing up human sexuality class, some yes. kids weren't allowed and parents wouldn't let them in. They're like, Oh, we don't want them to know about this stuff. But Yes, exactly. And you know, um, with, the internet and social media like it is, mm-hmm. they're going to find out the details one way or another, and they're doing it at a younger and younger age. So, um, and the benefit that we have is police officers often see it before out on the streets before it becomes a trend. So the magic of YouthLink is that we've got this incredible relationship with CPS and all the units and, and we, you know, can call up the drug unit and say, Hey, what are the, what are the top 10 drugs on the street today? And we'll display them in the center and we'll, you know, show them how it's going to impact kids and, and how it's going to impact their vanity because they really care about that too. Oh, yes, they do. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What is one of your most memorable moments on CTV or a moment that really touched and hit home for you where you couldn't even go to bed? Oh, well, this is a story that's probably not what you're thinking of, but it impacted me Mm -hmm. uh, greatly. Um, The cold case, CPS was working on a, on a cold case. And um, I went to interview the subject of that cold case. And it was a guy that had been, um, uh, it was before D- he was committing crimes before DNA was, was a thing and a reliable source in, in investigations. And he, um, he was accused of committing some sexual assaults and, um, CPS wouldn't tell me who he was. He wouldn't, they wouldn't give me a photo of him or anything like that. So I found out where he lived and, um, and I went to his house and, because he was being accused of some terrible things. And I wanted to know if, if he had anything to, that he wanted to say or to assure the community. Um, and um, he uh, found out my cell number and, um, and, 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 the, and where the victim, where the victim lived and, and, and everything. And it was just a really horrible thing. And so uh, I wasn't a victim of anything and he, nothing ever happened, but just the fact that he called me on my cell phone late at night and saying, I'm going to see you after, after this is done in court. I cannot imagine what victims of crimes go through. And um, that kind of, that kind of played some, 
mind games with me, but um, victims of crime have it, have it. So you see it from the other side. If that makes sense. That's eerie and terrifying. Creepy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have there been any moments where you go home and you just can't sleep or other than that moment? Um, in, when I was, when I was a reporter, yes, yes, because you're called out to deal with terrible situations and you see people in the, in their worst moments, like when their homes are burning down or when loved ones are murdered Mm -hmm. or, um, but then you get to see the other side too, like the really exhilarating moments. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's a, it's a wide pendulum. And I think that you're probably experiencing that on this podcast too, because you've been interviewing some really interesting people right. and, and I love learning about what they've gone through in their lives and some of the situations that make them who they are. I thought it was important to take that conversation a little deeper nowadays, because we could talk about work life and how you got started in your business, but there's a little more to it, you know? Yes. Deeper. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it interesting to find out what's, what makes somebody tick? I think it's really cool. <laughs> I really enjoy yes. it. Yeah. Yes, yes. And and you see this person like the Kelly Rudys of the world and mm-hmm. and uh you know you see him on TV every week and doing such a wonderful job and a great ambassador for this city and for the sport and and you had no idea about what he was dealing with um you know at home with his with his daughters and with his family and and how resilient you become because of that. And how good it can end up and, and, you know, by working through it and by finding the resources and just the experiences. I find that really interesting. It's really cool to see that so many of us think we need to be that other person or I want to be like that or I like those traits. But that person also struggles. And you never knew that. You only, like you said, only one-sided, right? Yeah. So like so- Tom Budd, I don't know if you got a chance to walk, listen to him a little bit. I did. <laughs> yes. What a story, right? Yeah. Like the trials and tribulations and, and, and as a child, how different events and, and parenting and environment impact you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's what, and that's what we see here too. Zach, we've been in the, like, we've been in the drug, we've been in the drug exhibit, you know, presenting to kids and some of the kids know more about drugs and than some of our educators, you know, and you wonder where did they get that information, you know? And and I think social media, when you talk about being your authentic self, I think social media is just, whew, it is a force for evil, a force for good. Uh, you know, some days I wonder. And, and there's two forces and really extreme forces. There's never a middle. And yes. if it is the middle, then you're just hanging out and talk to your family. I would call it that, right? Like yeah. our Facebook pages, for example. Yeah, personal pages. Yeah. It yes. is. Do you feel like social media can be dangerous for our youth of tomorrow? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. I think it contributes to many things, anxiety, mental health. Um, um, but, but it was before the day of cell phones, I think we had like uh, cassette tapes and, mm-hmm. yeah. and, you know, the rotary dial phones and, yes. and that, you know, the party lines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the social media, the, 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 uh, and 
we don't never had to deal with 24 seven and these kids can't escape it. And it is visceral and hateful and, and, um, and the peer pressure around it Mm -hmm. is just, and I don't know if it, I don't think it's getting better. I think the pandemic and I think COVID has exasperated and magnified, I think, some of the issues for kids because they don't have that one-on-one connection that they would have, uh, you know, in their sports groups or their arts or dance classes or, you know, the extracurricular or even the school environment. And so they're relying on social media. And, and you know, as, 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 the, as society evolves, so do the tactics of the criminal world. And, um, and predators are, are very sophisticated and they are getting at kids on social media in ways that you would never have dreamt of. It's sad, but it's the reality and yeah, it's tough. I mean, catfishing, I think it's called as well, right? Chris Hansen does something on that. I've seen once in a while, how to catch a predator. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But even in the gaming world too, I mean, they're, they're talking to people on Fortnite, like predators are getting the kids up through Fortnite and, and, you know, through all of these different apps. And, um, and this is, and so this is what we teach the kids is the top apps at the time uh, where predators are most prevalent and how many predators have been arrested in Alberta. And, 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 and it's, and it's not to, it's not to scare the kids. We're doing it in a really safe environment and we're presenting the, the information mm-hmm. in a very, um, in a very, in, in, a, in a meaningful way that they can understand as well. So, so yeah, it's a, it's tough being a kid nowadays and social media is not helping it. No, I was talking to uh Tad, Tad Millmine, Constable Millmine. Yes, I know yeah. him well. Yes. Bullying ends here. And he and I were chatting and he said, you know, I just feel so bad for these younger kids because when we were growing up, bullying would end at school and you get a little gateway at home, your safe zone. And most kids wouldn't want to go to school and they would want to stay home because it was safe. Yeah. Now, bullying just, like you said, 24-7 comes home with us now on the phone and you can't get yeah. rid of it. Yeah. No, you can't. And, and some parents don't, don't um, know how bad it can be yeah. because kids are very secretive. And there are, and kids will do almost everything to, to not being monitored by their parents. Like oh. There are apps uh, that kids can, for example, there's one app where uh, a parent might see their child uh, working a calculator, but it's an actual app that that is a gateway into social media. Mm-hmm. So, so kids are very good at hiding things, and and um, and when they're in trouble, uh, gosh, bullying can be so uh, can make you feel so alone, and and. Um, depending on how involved the parents are, mm-hmm. uh, it can, they can be such a resource, but sometimes parents have no idea and it's not their fault that they have no idea. It's, it's the situation and it's just. And I couldn't even imagine a kid trying to open up to his parents and saying, well, guess what? I am getting bullied. And sometimes they don't want to feel like the beta or inferior one in the class. Right. So they want to be like, yeah, everything's going well at school, but deep down you're broken. Yes. Yeah. We had a parent in here who um, had to, because of a bullying issue, uh, switch school three times for for their child because um, uh, sometimes it's not resolved in the proper ways. And and the child, like 
a child will only disclose so many times before they shut down. And, and they all need a trusted adult. And we talk about that. We identify in a child's life who are the top five you know, trusted adults. If you're in trouble, what would you do? Where would you go? And, and so we have them pick out their, their five um, most trusted adults as to who they would go to. But we also get them to um, go home and talk to their parents about the secret safe words. Mm. Like if they're in a, because if they get, if they're being bullied or if they're being offered drugs, um, it's most kids think they're going to be offered drugs for the first time by a guy in a back alley, you know, in a trench coat, and it's going to be a scary situation. <laughs> yeah. But that's not the case. They're going to be over at a friend's house and somebody's going to say, here, try this. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there and you're surrounded by friends or, or you know, your siblings, older, you know, older friends, and, and um, everybody's going to be looking at you. And what do you do in that situation? Because you know that one hit of crystal meth can get you addicted. You know that um, you know um, joints can be laced with with fentanyl. You just never know what's in if, what what somebody gives you. And so we talk to the kids about um, having safe passwords where they can either call their parents or they can text their, text their parents a secret uh, safe code, and it's no questions asked. The parents know that the, that the child needs them right then, right now and they'll come and pick them up. Or we teach them other ways to remove themselves out of the situation because we know that almost every child is gonna be presented with that. We had a, we had an 11 year old kid come in here and um, he saw drugs. Uh, he, he asked his mom to come to one of our drug presentations um, because he had seen the drug deals happening in the school bathroom. He's 11. Mm-hmm. You know, and gang members are recruiting kids as young as grade five. We had a, we had a, yeah, yeah. And you know what, Zach, these, these precious kids, grade five, they don't stand a chance against these manipulative cons who only want to recruit kids to do their dirty work so they don't get caught. And, um, and this one grade five boy was going through our gang exhibit and through our presentation and the recruiting techniques that we were talking about, he, he took a, a, he asked to speak to one of our police officers and he said, I think that's happening to me right now. And sure enough, it was. We got another uh, uh, unit to come in and to help him in school. And sure enough, yeah. So, you know, it's not like, so we just want to be able to do whatever we can to help these kids. Tara, what are they enticing these kids with? I mean, at that age, $5 or $10 was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. It can be, it can be uh, a number of different things. For example, um, for example, if uh, they target those who are looking for, for belonging and for um, uh, a, a sense of... Power a little bit. Well, but, but friendships. And so, so these... So these these bad guys will will um, it well for example it could start as it could start as simply as hey Zach um, you know if you want an extra fifty bucks just take this just take this package and and give it to that guy over there and you know it's pretty easy thing to do the kid gets fifty bucks he can buy you know the 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 
the latest video game or yeah. or a pair of jeans to look cool in, in, in class. And then it's um, Zach, you know, you did such a great job. Why don't you, you know, why don't you take this over there? I'll give you uh, 70 bucks or something like that. But then, but then, and, but there, are, that's only one recruiting technique. And, and, um, and they will shower you with praise and, you know, come hang with us, you know, and, and, and we'll get you, we'll get you what everybody else is wearing in school. We'll get you the latest, you know, iPhone or so there are, and then it just escalates and escalates and escalates. And, and before you know it, they're, they're in the gang and, and it's what Michael Roberto talks about in the jail cell here. It's uh, nobody's looking out for you in the end. Nobody it's, it's, it's uh, everybody's looking out for themselves. And when the, when the heat comes on, um, you're on your own and you're likely going to be going to jail or to prison. And it's, um, yeah. So that's what we want to prevent. Wow. That's right. But there, but, but what you're seeing in Calgary today too, is in some communities, uh, they love the glamour. They love to be feared. They love the glamour of being, you know, in this group. Because gangs don't self-identify with colors or with turf in Calgary. It's, um, you know, cars. It's, you know, money. And and and, uh, or at least that's what the that's what the myth is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all just. But someone in grade us. five, really? Yeah. That's so yeah. sad, and, and it breaks my heart to hear that. No. Yeah. Cause we were, yeah. we do remember us being children and just, I don't even know. What do you know at grade five? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you trust everybody at that age too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just want to belong the peer pressure, you know, to, to, just to belong and school can be, you know, a little cruel in some ways to those who, you know, might not feel like they belong. So they will try anything. and um and they're very susceptible so it's just giving them the information they need and so that they can identify some of the stuff that's that they're going to be confronted with and it's not just gangs or drugs it's you know the 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 bullying it's the cyber safety it's you know inappropriate relationships and all that kind of stuff are you seeing a lot of i guess conversion or is there a way to track children throughout the program throughout the years saying hey that guy didn't how that's do you measure great, things yeah that's a great question because when you're in the business of crime prevention how do you measure something that doesn't happen because if i if we're if if we prevented that grade five child from getting into that gang how do you measure that but we try our darndest and and so we uh pre and post test kids we test their knowledge before they come here and then we test their knowledge afterwards. But uh, we're also, um, uh, we were about to start, when COVID hit, we were about to get the University of Calgary researchers in here. We've signed an agreement with them to measure uh, our impact. So they're going to, uh, they're going to do research in the center and then they're gonna follow kids a few years later just to see hopefully that the lessons that they've learned here have stuck. Now, is this fun, uh, program funded by CPS or is it a Calgary, City of Calgary program? How does this work? We are, um, some of the funding comes from Calgary Police because we're part of their overall strategic uh, uh, plan for community policing and crime prevention. And 
and also working and working with diverse communities mm -hmm. as well. Um, but uh, we're also funded by the Calgary Police Youth Foundation too, okay. and uh, which which is all about crime prevention, intervention, and education. And so we are funded. We've got a voluntary um, a volunteer board of directors with people from the community and police officers, and so it's uh, it's very much a community. It's a unique collaboration in 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 North America when you got the school boards, the Calgary Police. Um, corporations in, in, in Calgary who fund us and who sponsor some of our programs. And uh, then we work with other not-for-profits and yeah, it's, it's uh, really unique. Yeah. What do you love most about your job right now, Tara? Oh, <laughs> that's a great question. Right now, I love leading a team into thinking that um, that they can do what they didn't think they could do. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the pandemic hit, and I've heard on your podcast so much conversation about this, you know, you didn't really know what was happening and you didn't know how long it was going to go on for. And, and all you knew is that you were shut down and all employees were sent home. But we knew that we had to keep youth like moving forward and and how do you do that? How do you how do you do a 180 with your business model and still deliver uh, impact for those wonderful partners in the community who are, who are funding you? And how do you and, and 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 the schools and the teachers and the families who say they need help because um, it's a year unlike any other. And um, so that's what I love. We were running summer camps last June. Uh, just after the quarantine lifted, when all the kids were quarantined in their homes. And um, I think we were ahead of the curve on, on running summer camps. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but it was three months after kids were locked down. They, they couldn't visit their friends. They couldn't go to schools. And, and, um, and businesses were, but, but we knew that kids needed to have a a place to go where they could be just kids again and forget about all the worries of, of the of the of what the adults were worrying about. So we so we um, we reimagined things and we still uh, it's been a year now we haven't had a single case of COVID here and we've been running programs and public programs and we've been open as much as the government will let us and it's just through this is the result that we want. How do you get there? Yeah. And this is how we used to do it. And we can't do it that way anymore. So how are we going to get it done? And, um, and we've had um, uh, normally uh, with, with our virtual programming, the demand for our programs has actually increased by 40% during, during the pandemic. So, so we're like, we're doing live streams. We're doing uh, virtual uh, programs where what we've, the, what we're been renowned for in the center is now they can, it's now an amazing experience in their classroom. Like we've created 360 degree uh, video of crime scenes that they can manipulate. We've got the real like wow. forensic officers uh, uh, videoing to these kids about the crime that they're investigating. And, and then uh, here in the center, we've set up a mini TV studio because we're close to the public for temporarily so we've got the the center as a backdrop and and the police officers are live streaming to kids 
and about really important things like, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, and, mm-hmm. you know, racism and um, anything they want to know. Like, would you rather be tasered or pepper sprayed? Or, you know, how fast can a dog run? You know, yeah. but it's all it's also about like some of the questions they're asking is, would you treat me differently depending on the color of my skin? And these are these are elementary kids, grade six kids asking these questions and this is the kind of conversation and collaboration we need to be having right now. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but for me growing up, we never had those conversations. I think at that age, you just, I don't know, you just like know them by names. And that's it. You never thought about this color and that color. And yeah, times are short changing. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting to see. The, the it shift. is. And you know, and just, and just the relationships that the community mm-hmm. has with the policing. One of my favorite stories is, uh, is, um, you know, a, a youth had come to Youth Link um, and uh, it was, it was a, and a few months later, he was walking down the street with his mom and up ahead, down the block, uh, the mom could see a police officer uh, arresting somebody and putting him into the back of the police car. So the mom, as they got closer, the mom wanted to walk across the street and then go across the street and down so that they would avoid but the but the little the little guy held on to his mom's hand and said, "No, I want to go up there." And he knocked on the driver's side window of the police car with the bad guy in the back and this little this little cute little face knocking on the knocking on the pat on the driver's side window. And the officer rolls down his window, and the little boy said, "I just wanted my mom to meet you because I saw you at youth league." So. so it's changing the perceptions like the mom saw a really negative experience but the child saw a police officer who he had met before and and had a really great relationship with and that's you know police policing isn't about just arresting bad guys and we're never going to arrest our way out of any situation it's about building great relationships with the community and it's one officer at a time with you know, one family mm-hmm. at a time. And oh, look at that uh, civilian and officer. That is so cool. It's such, and it, yeah. that shows that your program is actually working. Wow. Yes. Yeah. It got tons of, uh, tons of stories about that. Like our forensics program. Uh, I met a mom, I met a woman once with her grown daughter and I introduced myself. It was at a, it was at a charity dinner and uh, I introduced myself as being with youth link and, and she goes, oh, you're the one I have to blame then. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> One time. And uh, apparently her daughter loved dancing. But after, and she wanted, uh, she had dreams of going to Broadway in New York and being a dancer. But after coming to Youth Link, uh, <laughs> she went into forensic criminology instead. And <laughs> because she loved forensics and she she loved the science of it. So yeah. I'm not sure where she's working in Canada right now, but but yeah, we've got lots Very of stories cool. like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a, a police officer come in a few months ago uh, and he had a picture of him at Youth Link uh, at the old center. And then um, he had a picture of his recruit grad. And it was the the visit to Youth Link that got him interested in policing, and uh, he's now out out on the streets right now doing patrol work. So wow, it's kind of fun, yeah, kind of I interesting. Think, I think you and I connected well through obviously Youth Link as well on my one page, and yes. it was through the video 
that way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's I think that's how we all kind of well, I met many of you guys. Yes. And that, that was that was after um Sergeant Hernandez was Hernandez. killed in the line of duty. Yeah, you you did an amazing video that was really touching. And you know, Zach, I I've always covered um officer deaths or military deaths as a reporter, but never from the inside. And you see, it was a different experience from inside the organization. And that kind of thing um, really touched a lot of hearts around here. And um, yeah, it was, it's, it's a difficult, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a difficult situation. Well, for me, you know, I was at home and I see the city's blue and I'm like, well, if, one day his kid is going to be around and sees this. I want that boy or girl to see what our city did for their wow. dad, even though their dad lost their life here. You know, I think that's the least we could do because there's only so much, like you said, the external news media can cover. And I really wanted to show, look at downtown right now. It's so pretty yeah, and, and eerie and quiet and sad. And the flags were dropped down the pole and it was an honor and then the next day I went out obviously to pay respects yeah. well what you did was so special and um and I've been I've been I'd known about you before that oh but <laughs> oh no from and I'll, and I'll touch on that in a sec but that was um yeah it was a it was a very difficult time um and the way that the community um showed their um, understanding and their and their love for for the Harnett family was just mm-hmm. really special. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, but I what I also love is your photography oh. and your and your accounts. I love great photography and I'm I'm and I I can't do it and I think that's probably why why <laughs> I appreciate it so much. But I and I'm and I'm drawn to, um, you know, you're drawn to positive things on on social media. Mm-hmm. I at least that's where I go on social media. It's I don't like dealing with the negativity, mm-hmm. and that's and that's why I'm drawn to. I was drawn to your accounts because mm-hmm. of the of the great photography and 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 the film and mm-hmm. and like how long how long have you how long have you been involved in this? And I know that I've got a million questions, but no, it's. In terms of videography and photography, I think it's literally been a couple of years, a few years, just playing around, practicing, kind of similar to this whole thing I'm doing now, right? Learning as we go. So you're all, so you're self-taught. Self-taught, yes. Yeah. Really? And mm-hmm. how did you know that this was what you'd be successful at or that you would, once you dive into something, sometimes you think, oh, this isn't for me, but obviously it's a passion for you. How did you decide that this is where you wanted to go? I think I kind of looked at all the things I'm good at in life. And I think one of them was communicating with people, enjoying conversations, you know, go back to your childhood and, and storytelling. I love story time. Yeah, me too. Right. Yeah. And I think you start picking up on all these things. And I found some old video cameras I had. And I'm like, ah, this is all coming full circle in my life. There's so many things that I'm sure you have done trial error trial error oh i think i like it no i don't like it and now it's like something you live for and you breathe for and i really enjoy it but i I did need a little bit of a break because i got tired and burnt out and i think a lot like you said 
you need to follow positivity instead of the negative out there. And there's a lot of that as well. If you, Mm-hmm. And I think the so pandemic not, showed that, right? You got to see yes. people's true colors. <laughs> yes. So you're not on you're not on Twitter or Facebook. I am on Facebook and I'm on Twitter, but I don't really use much of it. I should start using it. Yeah. And why don't you? I used to be obsessed with Twitter, and I didn't like Instagram because like, what are these little squares? And I think the tension had switched. The attention had switched and Instagram was very photography focused and film focused. So I said, mm-hmm. well, if that's where I'm heading right now, that's where I need to be. Mm-hmm. Have you um, experienced the rabbit hole of TikTok yet? I, I have tried back and forth and I, I can't get in on it. I'm sorry. I like, <laughs> I like watching the funny videos and stuff. It's pretty entertaining, but dancing and all that online. No, okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm not into that part either. But I, is some of the videos are, are quite amusing and I know uh, it's, quite funny. You can yeah. sit on there for hours, right? It'll consume you. Yeah, I know, I know. It's 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 a very addictive thing. But that's what social media is, and mm-hmm. so I'm trying to find more balance in my life when it comes to social media. Are you running Youthlink social media as well? That page. Um, <laughs> well. I should never be left unsupervised with something like that. <laughs> but yes, um, uh, well, Fallon, there's two of us that are okay. running it. Uh, Fallon and I are running it, yeah. and, uh, and it depends on what she's got on her plate. And uh, mm-hmm. But it's very much a, a team and yeah. collaborative vision. Yeah. It's fun, yeah. and it's exciting, and you get to see the canines there and all that. Yes, yeah, they will. Uh, yeah, the units, we, we love to feature the officers that come here and then the canine guys will will uh stop by for surprise visits and so we always love to get the dogs out because uh, it's one of the it's one of the favorite exhibits here at the center um but uh they um you know the canine guys they've got a heart of gold and and um and i say canine guys i shouldn't say that because jen is uh there's a constable uh, jen is one of the canine officers as well but out of the goodness of their hearts, they will come and do demonstrations here every second week when we are, um, you know, t- t- when we are um, like operating at normal. Uh, and they'll do demonstrations for the highest risk kids because sometimes the kids that come here um, from high, from more vulnerable areas of the city, they may not have had great experiences with, with police. Um, perhaps the police have been there for negative reasons or um, at their homes for negative reasons or family members have had negative experiences with police. So um, this could be their first positive experience and we use the dogs for that because kids love dogs and the canine guys know that and they'll and they'll use the dogs as a as a to break down you know a barrier and so that they can yeah. yeah and to have great also the trauma dogs the trauma dogs. Do you know about the trauma dogs? Is that similar to like a therapy dog or? Yeah, kind dog? of. Yeah. yeah. These are, these are black labs that are um, um, with the victim assistance unit and the dogs will go to crime scenes or to wherever uh, that they, that people might need some, some um, help or support. And these dogs are so beautiful and they're so loving. And when they come here, you will find them at the bottom of a pile of kids. <laughs> oh my because, God. Yeah. And they've got their badges on their necks and uh, yeah. And they will, um, 
they, I think um, the first trauma doc that we had here was Hawk. And he, I think he was one of the first ones across Canada as a trauma doc, but uh, he made history in Alberta because uh, it was a child abuse case. And for the first time they allowed a dog to sit with the child in the witness box or, or when, when the child was giving testimony, it may have been on video, but, but, um, but that's what these dogs are so great for is just um, bringing calm and lessening anxiety at critical times. So, yeah. So the canine guys are kind of some of our favorites, but it's only because we're in a pandemic and, and there are lots of, uh, uh, we want to, CPS is very careful about controlling the environment. We'd have a lot more officers over here, but depending, because yeah. we, yeah, we love the Hawks pilots and, you know, we, we love the TAC guys and, you know, patrol officers will come in here and, you know, they've been out patrolling and, and investigating crimes and they come in here and they, the kids ask them for autographs and the officers are never greeted by like that, like that anywhere else. So, so it's kind of their hit of sunshine when they come here. Yeah. Have you uh, flown in a Hawks yet? I have, yes. What was that yes. experience like? It was amazing. We were covering, uh, we were, um, oh, it's fascinating. Like, like in the, up in the cockpit, it's kind of like got what a GPS is. Like they, they can, they, they've got, they know the street, they know every, they know the city of Calgary, like the back of their hands, but it's like a grid system. It's kind of like a GPS, but uh, yeah, it was at night and there had just been a, an armed robbery and we were following the suspect and uh, we were directing, we say we, it wasn't we, <laughs> but the officer was directing some of the patrol units uh, uh, to the location and they, they successfully made an arrest, but, but yeah, but then uh, it was at a quiet time and um we just did a, 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 a round of the, of the city and I think Stampeders were playing at the time and, oh, uh, and my, home, my home team, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders were playing. <laughs> so it was wonderful to, to hover around. Yeah, yeah but it, it's amazing the work that they do and, and, um, and, the, and the arrests that they assist with and the crime prevention. Yeah, so it's pretty. Yeah. pretty what, what made Calgary home for you? Are you from small town Saskatchewan as well? Yes, I'm from a small community called Bethune, uh, Saskatchewan, and it's just outside of Regina. And um, I don't know, I used to, I like, I'm a prairie girl at heart. I love Saskatchewan and, and uh, it's where my heart is. I always though wanted to live in Calgary because of the vibrancy, the energy here. Uh And um, I ended up uh, applying to CTV Calgary for five years, I got five years of rejection letters, <laughs> but I really wanted to work here. And so I just kept at it. And with every rejection letter I got, I uh, would work on a new demo tape to send to them. And, uh, and I think they were, I think they hired me because it was either hire me or take out a restraining order. <laughs> Who's a stalker? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't get, and you know, it's uh and I, yeah, I got on. After 20 years you were on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I really, I was only on air in Calgary for three years. Yeah. And then that's when, you know, mm-hmm. this opportunity came up. Because you moved around. I think you were doing Lethbridge as well. You had highlighted a few places in Alberta. Yes. And I was, um, uh, for, for, I got to, 
fill-ins for um, at CTV Newsnet in Toronto as well, and that was that was exciting too, because you're you're manning the desk and you you know you're anchoring and you're hoping for the big story to happen, so it's breaking news and that sort of thing. So that was really fun. Yeah, yeah, you get to meet a lot of people, and and um, I love just uh, I'm a hardcore news junkie. I love to know what's going on, but nowadays. You know, I, I that that has waned a little bit, and I know that you've talked about this yes. before. Uh, watching the news is is a little tough right now, and you got to take care of, you know, of yes, your, right? Yeah, your yeah. mental health. Yeah. Well, you know, I, yeah, six o'clock news or five o'clock news. I'll start watching a little bit, and I'm like, once the word coronavirus comes up, I literally turn it off now. I just I do that on a few subject matters now. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> 10 more deaths, um, 200 up, 300 down. Okay, enough. <laughs> I've heard it for too long. I know. I know. As I long know as you're abiding it... by the rules and taking care of things and uh, all that, yeah. I think the rest is just noise. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Like, and you know, I was having a conversation with um, just some coworkers and just, you know, friends because I'm, I'm in a very small bubble. Uh, and, you know, what would be the first thing you would do if COVID was over tonight? Mm. And overwhelmingly, it was about getting back in touch with friends or visiting family or, you know, going out for dinner or, or but it's, it was all about that human connection. And I think that's what I'm really missing right now. And I just cannot wait till we can get, but, but you just, I'm, I don't, I'm, you discover things about yourself. I'm very, I didn't know I was this much of an introvert. <laughs> I always thought I was this like big extrovert, but you know, so I'm finding that I'm a little bit of both. Yeah. And how are you doing on that aspect, on that end? Definitely finding out I'm an introvert. <laughs> like, seriously, I would always be well, out and about and enjoying my time with friends. But I also knew I needed my time to recharge. I couldn't have friends or people around me 24 7 it's yes. exhausting even if they're yes. not doing anything it just exhausted me <laughs> it and, is it is and now it just feels really nice to be within your own skin that's what i'm really finding i really yeah. like it i mean it's a journey every day is a struggle every day is uh, you learn something new and more things to clean up but that's okay I've, does this help does your podcast help i think it has i think it has i I mean, obviously, it adds more work, but, mm-hmm. but that doesn't really scare me. I think what scares me is, is my mind going to stay sane or is it going to go up and down with the emotions of various guests? You want to keep that neutral area. And I'm sure you had to learn that at CTV. How do you step away from certain stories? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's a great question. You really feel like you can't help but but feel for the people that you're reporting on, um, and I think you'd be. I think it'd be pretty hard to turn it off, but um, yeah, like when you're in court and you're listening to testimony and you see the families, you know the victims' families and the gut wrenching heartache or pain that people feel you feel that too. And, 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 but on the other side, you know, that people are, are working really hard to find them justice or to find them closure. And, and you see the efforts going on, but, 
but um, yeah, it can be really hard. I can still, even though it's, you know, something may have happened 12 years ago, I can remember the exact words of a conversation or exactly where I was standing when I interviewed this person. And, um, and I see Calgary, not as a, not as a city, but as I drive around, I don't see landmarks. I see where I interviewed that person for that story. This is where I went to cover that crime or this was, you know, so it's not landmarks to me. It's uh, where I experienced different things or, you know, where the school. Yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. What what have you enjoyed so far about this podcast? And first of all, thanks for coming on. I really do appreciate you on here. I know it's like, come on, I need you. And you're like, all right, thank you. I was, you know what, it's been really difficult not to, because I love asking questions and I'm very curious about things. And, and, and this is the first podcast that I've been on. I've listened to uh, so many podcasts, right. but I've never been on one. And I've always been curious about what it's like, how you made it happen. What does success look like? Have you ever had any like complete bombs, you know, and, and, and like, what's your, who your favorite guest is and are you set up in your, in your home office and, and what about sound? I've got so many questions. So it has taken great restraints not to try to take over. The- <laughs> Let's switch. To, okay, I'm switching. I'm coming on your side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We should yeah, do so one one day like that. That would be fun in person. I would. Okay, if you ever want to be interviewed, let me do it because I've got some. Yeah. yeah. If you ever want to turn the microphone over to you, that would be that would be a lot of fun. I think it's just. Um, I think it's just a great way to connect. And what I'm getting out of your podcast is, uh, is just the different roads that people have traveled, the different issues that they've dealt with, how they've overcome things, what their successes look like. And, um, and just with the times as well, like where they've come from and, and where they are now, because this pandemic, each of us has, has, reacts in our own special way mm-hmm. and it's impacted everybody in very personal ways so i so i love i love that part of it but i i like to know what makes people tick yeah. so, beyond the your professional standpoint how has it affected you the pandemic pandemic um well i live alone yes. and so i have got two households that i can be with and they're both family, which I'm very grateful uh, for. So it's um, it's that connection that that I'm really that I can't wait to be able to to you know do things and the freedom with which to do it. Was it tough on your mind when we first learned about all this last year around this time and the chaos of um, people and all that? No, and here's why. Um, I knew that I had to modify the business and I knew that I had employees who were concerned about their jobs mm-hmm. and, um, and I was concerned about their mental health as well. So mm-hmm. I knew that we needed to act quickly to find a new path. And because you could, you, you, you could see how other businesses were doing it. Like mm-hmm. um, restaurants were adjusting their models from Eden to curbside you know, there is a brewery in, in Calgary who, who uh, was um, 
manufacturing uh, the hand sanitizer. Yes. And, you know, movie theaters were, you know, delivering popcorn to your home mm-hmm. kind of thing for, mm-hmm. for that movie experience. And and because they knew that Netflix and all those on all the streaming services were going to be a huge. Com- and, and, I, and I think going forward, I think the movie business has changed. So what I needed to find, I needed to. There were many, many hours trying to develop a new model and where we were going to go with this, mm-hmm. because I because we knew that at the end of this, we needed YouthLink to be still standing, but not only surviving but thriving. And what has happened is we created opportunities that are going to mean great things for the non for for the organization going forward. So it's uh, so it worked out. So for the first six months, I didn't really have time to think. It was all yeah. about as all about the business. Yeah. Did you do you see that moving from a lot of physical things to virtual or digital is going to be the future for YouthLink and a lot of businesses? Even though that we might go back to the normal, we'll have the psychological damage done in our minds. I can speak only from my experience. Yes. Um, when my employees were first sent home, it was weird. They were, they were trying to figure out, uh, their spaces and and their new routines. And, you know, we were checking in every day to make sure they got outside to go for a walk or, you know, just taking care of their, their mental health. And, um, and then we were allowed to open up again. So they all Mm -hmm. came back to work and it was wonderful. The team bonding, you know, the, because it's amazing what you can get done with a hallway conversation instead of over a Zoom or an email. Um, And then we were closed again. So they're all back home again. And um, I, I know that they all want to be back in the office. At first they loved the, the remote working, but now they just want to be, they want to be back. They want to be around people because when you're working from home remotely, there's so many challenges, especially if you're a parent, mm-hmm. but, and there are distractions and, and, and that sort of thing. So we, I find that we're more productive in some ways here, in some ways you you know, you can block everything out at home and you can just get your project done. Um, but uh, in our business, it's all about being together and, and uh, because we're a public facing entity. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 How about you? So the, How have you felt that? How, what, do you, what do you think is going to happen? Because I think it depends on the organization. It does a hundred percent for yours. Totally. I can understand that. I mean, for me, I think, well, less than a month now I've kind of launched this and it's been great. And it's the momentum is there because I think it is digital. I have another Ooh. microphone right across here and everything was set up for interviews with people in person. I was like, Zoom, who wants to do that? Because usually when you'd say, hey, want to meet up? And someone would say, hey, let's Zoom. It was almost like, yeah, they don't want to meet you in person. It was like, let's just do it on Zoom. And But now Zoom has become this thing we're all forced to learn. Yes. Like, yes. You know, and, and forced to learn things that we had never done or like delivering programs. I think we're now doing it on five different platforms, not just Zoom. And, and we didn't even know that these others existed or that we could do it. And so in some ways it's opened up so many opportunities and, and uh, I, I, it'll be really interesting to see. I think it'll depend on the industry. I don't think it'll ever beat being in person, no matter what people need people. Yeah, We need that real human interaction. But for example, like this, you and I imagine if we had to schedule a meetup in person, this and that, I mean, it takes forever. Just, yes, that's right. Instead, I just 
I'm at work, flip on the Zoom, and away we go. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's it's interesting because people are buying homes without even setting foot into it, into it, into their home. That was my cousin. My cousin last week. He purchased a home, and they're having a second child hopefully soon. And I was like, wow, that's a that's like a really irrational decision in my mind. <laughs> He's like, well, it said it has a great home office. We looked online. Boom, we got it. Amazing. Yeah. So you see how it can be transforming industries, yeah. you know, and I just, uh, but, but for us, it's very much in person. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk to teachers and things and, and they love the live stream. They love the virtual program, but they've told us overwhelmingly that they can't wait to get back here. So have you been able to look at virtual or digital museums? Yes. And there is a lot of potential there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because we've had, um, we've mainly focused everything that we do in Calgary because we're part of the Calgary police crime prevention strategy. And we're part of uh, uh, community policing in Calgary and, and so, uh, so we focus everything that you see here in the in the in the museum is about Calgary, or has happened in Calgary, or is is happening in Calgary. But our programs are so universal that we've had requests from all over the province. We've had requests from all across the country. We've had a couple of requests from the U.S. Um, for our programs. And how else are we going to do that? But but exactly what you're talking about yeah. digitally, and other other. Uh, like Denver uh, police uh, want to create a youth link down in Denver uh, because they see the the potential and they're dealing with some of the same issues uh, when it comes to the community policing and crime prevention. And instead of trying to reinvent the Mm -hmm. wheel, they, so yeah, so there's, 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 so we see some great partnership there. And, and a lot of that it's, it's changed the way that we've, that we were thinking about it for Mm -hmm. sure. There's um, a few side projects. Obviously, this was one of them. And another one is a digital museum, but it's more of an archive that I've been working on. It's actually called digitalmuse.ca. So I'll Ah. send you the link after. Yeah, it's like a side project where it's like archiving all of our Canadian history or Western Canadian history, especially Albertan Midwest. Right. Because, you know, there is so much here that we have behind the scenes that is so interesting. Mm -hmm. That uh, that unless you book a special tour, you you wouldn't um, normally be able to see. So that would be because right. everything has got, and it goes back to what you were talking about. Before, everything has a story to it, yeah. and that's what I love. That's what I, that can be told really, really mm-hmm. well digitally. Yeah. And why are we here? What matters? And yeah, I mean, Tari, like it's like you're doing what you're doing, but it's so connected with everything I'm doing, and this is the way the world works now. <laughs> pretty cool yes yes what have you you found about the podcast that you enjoy so far or some of the things i'm doing that kind of said this is what you're really interested in doing well i love you mean the subject matter and the guests yeah the whole podcast was it where you're like what is this yeah oh well i uh i love when you talk about um mindset and passion and leadership i i love that aspect of it because Mm -hmm. um I love uh, doing the unexpected and I love proving people wrong.
Yeah, you should be because because there's so only so much planning that you can do before you have to just dive in and do it. Mm -hmm. Well, I tried it over the years. I would do an interview and I was like, oh my God, I sound so goofy or doesn't look, what am I talking about? Or I'm stuttering or so, you know what? You're going to look like that and you're going to sound like that either way. Do it and just throw it out there. And uh, a lot of it was facing your fears of what other people will think of you and how you're going to be perceived. And I thought, just do it and mm-hmm. be yourself. Because uh, if it is recorded, people will know and they'll remember. So <laughs> it's, all, it's on now, right? So. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Uh, and then you get feedback and then you say, well, do you cut out the noise? And it's almost like what you said, the enough of the nose makes you keep wanting to go a little harder. Mm-hmm. What is your, what's the biggest challenge that you've ever overcome? Mm, the death of my mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's in August, 2019, August 7th. That was August a tough 7th. challenge. Yeah. So this year will be two years coming up and yeah, you go through uh, tough times and you think grief is one of those things you can take yes. you through all kinds of waves in life and you feel loneliness, you feel a lot of yes. things, but there's a lot of things to be thankful for. Like, you know, she got to pass away and we were all there in the hospital. In February last year, COVID came around when a lot of people didn't have their loved ones around them when they went. So mm. you got to be counting your blessings. Mm. Yeah. Did she have a, so she was, Obvious. I mean, moms are really special. Yes, they are. But you had a, a great relationship with her? Yes, I was very close to my mom. Yeah. I was more yeah. on the mom, mama's boy then. <laughs> and they say daddy's girl, right? Don't they say that? Yeah. So. Uh, and was it was it expected? Was the death expected? Yeah. Yes, you know, it was very quick, though. I mean, it was cancer. So it's just oh, I'm so sorry. a few months and boom. And obviously, you never think it's going to happen to you. Nobody ever wishes that, right? No, no. And that's young for, for like, to experience a a parent death. Mm -hmm. I videoed everything. I took photos of everything. And maybe that was one of the reasons why I've always been a a visual person. So I really enjoy it. That's why you'll see a lot of videos of this, these interviews, not just audio. Because there's something about it. There's an emotion in it. There is. And, and, you know, even it's one of the things that I appreciate about this is that I get to see you because I've seen, because I've I've mainly listened to the podcast, but being able to see you during the interview, I get to see your, like your, yeah, your reaction and your, and the nuances. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's just something special about a mother's love that just transcends all other kinds of love, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's tough, but yeah. you know, you gotta, what is it? You gotta, you gotta make her proud. And I, I said in life, there's two ways to look at it. You know, either you can go down and completely self-sabotage yourself or you yeah. can find uh, light. And even though it, it, there's a lot of darkness out there, you just find people like yourself yeah. and so many where you just say, Hey, I want to talk to that person because there's a little bit of energy in that. And maybe this podcast has done that for me. It was a purpose I needed. Yeah. yeah. So is this the kind of thing that you would have called her about and celebrated the, the, the fact that you got the podcast up and going? Yes. 
you think about her every day? I do every day. And well, I think the podcast is one thing, but I think the other thing is getting your mind together, feeling happy. I don't think she was always about getting one thing done. It was more like, do you have peace within yourself? And that's because mm. you know this, we can be busy and we can achieve a lot of things, but if our heart and our everything inside is not right, then we're not truly happy. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice having somebody in your life who you know is there for you unconditionally. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and a mom is like that. Yeah, she would pull out the wooden spoon when I was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and still scold me even till the oh, last days. Yeah. Oh, you probably deserved it. <laughs> oh, I totally did. I was a hyper kid. Yeah. <laughs> and you grew up in in Quebec, right? Yeah, uh, my dad did. Yes. Your dad. Oh, so yes. were you were you born in Calgary then? I was born in East Africa. Oh. Yeah. So it was interesting. So how did all that happen? How did I don't know. There's a magic that happened there. There's love in the air. <laughs> so my dad went to oh. high school. My dad was from Africa. I went to high school in Quebec City. Um, met my mom. And my mom was in Africa, and I was born there and came to Calgary at four months old. So all I know really? is Calgary. Yeah, Calgary's oh, oh, now why Calgary, though? Why, why did they choose Calgary? I think it was, you know, around the 80s, there was that boom. There was a potential. Mm. There's a lot of family members here. And I'm actually happy we're here than in Quebec. That would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so was, is, is your dad still with us? Oh, yes, he is, yeah. So he comes and over. He- and he calls me every day and uh, he it's so nice because my dad became a mom and a dad now yeah that's wonderful yeah my younger yeah. sister and her husband and then there's me so it's we got a uh, got a dog french bulldog he's <laughs> a cutie <laughs> what's his name his name is ari ari Ar- ari oh. aristotle yeah <laughs> you have any animals or what Oh, I wish I, um, I grew, I grew up with dogs. I'm a huge dog person and I found it interesting. Um, I don't have one, uh, currently, but I would love, but it's interesting to see how many people, uh, acquired pets and dogs during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found that really interesting. It was interesting, but worrisome at the same time. Cause I said, I hope you're serious right it's not just yes. a toy it's a soul it's I, i'm like a dog lover like kind of like animals sometimes more than humans not gonna lie <laughs> i didn't <laughs> me too yeah yeah you know what they don't have a voice and we have to stand up for them so i, I got worried i got worried not gonna like i said oh if if you're getting this i hope you're not just gonna drop them off the next day man too much work first. yeah i hope that too but I, I just, um, I'm not sure if the world deserves dogs. They are just precious creatures. And I think that's, and, and now that as we're talking about it, I think that's the reason that I go on TikTok is for all the dog videos. <laughs> They've got some great ones on there. Are you allowed to pet a, uh, a German Shepherd, a canine or no? Like one of the canine dogs? Um, well, no, not really. But uh because they're yeah they've got a no pet policy but um 
but when they come here and it's just us yeah. and we're very familiar, we, we can um, pet them, but only with the handler's permission. Because yeah. they're, they're very high energy and they're not pets. Like you, I cannot imagine taking one of those dogs home as a pet. They're like, they're the NHL stars of the dog world. And uh, they, they are like really high, except for the, for some reason, they had a, an explosive detection dog. His name was Moose. And he was, and he was a good reflection of his name. Like <laughs> ramming through everything. eh? Well, and just a, like, just a lovable yeah. lug, you know, and he would be the kind that would, uh, that would be under a pile of kids as well. And um, the canine unit, you know, would bring him over here for my birthday because he was my favorite dog Aww. and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, they, so they've got a no pet policy unless uh, you're in a very controlled environment and you get the handler's permission. Do we have a Calgary Police Museum where you can see the old vehicles and what the uniforms well, were like? Yes, we, we've got, a, we've got a, a black and white police car here at, right now. Um, and we've got one of the old blue and whites. Mm -hmm. Remember those blue yeah. and white cars? And like they're... Uh, the Crown Vicks? Yes. Yeah. I don't know much about cars. I was struggling for the, for the name of it. So yeah, it's the Crown Vic outside. Um, they've got um, this old thing called the Black Mariah. And it, was, uh, and it was one of the cars that they had like back in the last century. And it's just beautiful. We pull it out for car shows and stuff like that it's just beautiful and you could it's like uh it's like the paddy wagon wow uh, you know back in the day that you would see in the al capone movies yeah and stuff like that it's exactly what that is and, and uh and then um and is it the, an original that we've had in calvin like this is a, like our police vehicle yes wow. but you know what though it was discarded uh, before we had a police museum, it was discarded and, and an officer found it in, uh, abandoned in a farmer's field. And they brought it back and they tuned it up and it looks stunning. It's just beautiful. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. have to see it one day. That's so cool. Yes. Yeah. Let me know and I'll take you over there. Thank you. you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Tara, thank you so much for today. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure getting to know you. And if you ever, ever want, you know, to allow your listeners to have a view of uh, like and really get to know what makes you tick, Zach, instead of you asking all the questions, let me know because I'd love to. We'll do it. We should totally to do it. Questions. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And one day what we should do is uh, maybe we're allowed is to do a, a tour, like a virtual tour through video. Would love that. That'd be yes. fun. Yes. Yeah. Would love that. I'll take you through the whole place. Yeah. It's pretty Sorry. cool. How yeah. did you get a hawks? Up? Oh, it's not a real hawks up there. An older hawks, right? Oh no! It's it's the it's a life size version of uh. But you know what it is? Um, it's it's part real helicopter and it's part styrofoam. And there's a there's a company in town okay. that uh, did uh, prop work for the Transformer movies, and so they created this life size, and it is down to the inch. It's down to and every rivet and every decal on it is exactly as you would have seen with before they replaced the helicopter. The, they just replaced the helicopter. They just did, so, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it weighs about uh, I think sixteen hundred pounds. And it's attached to the second 
ceil to the second floor ceiling by four wires. And it's the only time we really fib to the children. <laughs> Listen, kids, if we get the call, the roof retracts, the wires snap, and we've got to go. Run. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's yeah. not. We don't do that. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So we, the team had that for an idea, and it mm -hmm. looks kind of cool. Yeah. Perfect. If you know any guests or if you have any ideas for people that you would like me to interview, let me know as well. Theo Flurry, that's one. He's yeah. Seems, I have never met him or talked to him. So it's going to be interesting. We, we chat on Instagram, but it'll be interesting in person. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, I, I had a chance to interview, he'd never remember it, but yeah. I had a chance to interview him once. And when he was coming out with the book, oh. and he was doing the book tour. Um, yeah. Yeah. I worked with um, Sheldon Kennedy on uh, on uh, um, building the Sheldon Kennedy Child Advocacy Center. And when he was in, when he was in Swift Current, mm -hmm. I was a reporter there. Oh, well, he was and, playing for the Broncos then. Yeah. To the and bus. I interviewed Graham James and, uh, and when he, he was one of those guys that, that, that you got the creeps over because you you would interview him and the camera was would stand, you know, uh, behind you and you'd have the microphone and he, he could not maintain eye contact. He would be looking completely the other way. So you would have his profile and it gave, mm -hmm. it gave us the creeps. And we used to have to fight over who had to go and interview Graham James. What was the reason he would do that? That's a little odd. Uh, Cause he was the head coach of the Broncos. Oh no, no. Why, why do you think he wasn't looking at you guys? Or like, oh, cause way. he's a, uh, there's something wrong there. He's a monster. Yeah. yeah, he's a monster. And probably because he he wasn't comfortable around women. Mm -hmm. I watched uh, one of Theo's videos recently online. There's an, a documentary. Yeah. And I just got upset. I was just like... Oh, I know. Off the air. But if I saw that guy, I'd probably punch him just for no reason. He's an oh, asshole for what he did. Jerk. I know. <laughs> I know. You know, Sheldon... Uh, Zach, it was because uh, Youth Link was my second job coming out of TV. The first job was the Child Advocacy Center. And, um, and this was when, when, when I interviewed for, for, for to be executive director of the Child Advocacy Center to build it. Uh, I thought they were crazy to offer me the job because I was just come out of TV. What do I know about building a facility or bringing four major government agencies together to live under one roof, one under one roof, and it had been tried a couple of times before, and both times failed. And they said, "We've got one more shot at this," and 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 we're gonna. So they, so we raised eight million dollars, but but and to, to build this facility out across from the children's hospital, and it transforms the way the city responds to child abuse, and it set the bar for all other advocacy centers across the country. But just after I was hired, I asked Sheldon Kennedy to go for coffee with me. And we met at the Good Earth um, down by um, Heritage Park there. Okay. Um, and we, we sat in there and I, I just had to talk with him about being in Swift Current at the same time that Graham James was being awful to Sheldon and, and uh, and so, you know, Sheldon was so gracious and, and, but I was so 
you know, you go through that roller coaster of emotions about, you know, not why didn't I see it or why wasn't there a sign? And I just thought that Graham James was this awful man, you know, who had no manners, uh, but, but he was doing very dark things. And, and, and I, and nor, nor would I be trained or educated to recognize, you know, what, what, what he was or, or what he was doing. But, but I was so privileged to be working with Sheldon to build this, center that would transform the way that, that, that the city responds to child abuse. And he told me that, you know, when, like he would fall asleep in class and nobody ever asked him why. And that's why I see now teachers are the first line of defense if there's something going wrong in a child's, in a child's life. Because Sheldon was a star hockey player um, he could, he walked on water in swift current because everybody loved him, but nobody asked him why he was falling asleep in class. And if, and if somebody had asked him, maybe that might have changed the trajectory, you know? So the fact that we got to, that I got to work with him on building this, this child advocacy center, that was a really special project. Yeah. You know, the things kids go through. Mm. Yeah. So with Theo, you know, the, the, to the depths that he has been to, that'll be a really interesting yeah. interview. And then I think a lot of people have heard Theo's story, but it'd be interesting to see just in a, like a normal setting, like you and I just hanging out, chatting again. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, and he can tell some great stories, like on both sides, you know, yeah. dark and, and, and NHL-wise, you know. That's why I like the way you interviewed Kelly Rooney. You know, you talk, you, you mix the hockey in and, you know, the, the being on TV with, you know, how he coped with what was going on mm -hmm. behind the scenes and, and what that looked like. And, you know, when he told the story about the, about being, uh, when they went to the playoffs and, you know, his breaking point, that was phenomenal. Like, who would have known that? I was just, so that's, that's the kind of mm -hmm. thing that I like hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are you a big hockey fan? It seems like you love hockey. Uh I I was the I was the only girl playing on a boys hockey team when I was little. Okay, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> but but no, I'm uh, no I I I love cheering for the home team, yeah. but I don't uh, I don't play it or anything. No, of course. Do you? I don't play anymore. No, I used to play a lot of street hockey. It was fun. Yeah. 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 Up as a kid, you know. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Car. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. Car. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks, Tara, though. And uh, we'll keep Thank in touch. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Yeah. And I'll DM some uh, yeah. some uh, suggestions. Suggestion ideas. And, um, you know, obviously, love this journey that I'm on. And we'll have to do yeah. more of these. And we can even find, like, topics down the line. And but, Yeah. Well, good you. luck with everything. I know I'm enjoying it. My staff li yeah. listen to you as well. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. No problem. And I, I saw that you had written those nice words of me. Thank you again in your post. <laughs> I, I I have disarming interview questions. You do. Do I? Tell you me about do. that. What is it yes, like? Yes, you do. You're very disarmingly charming. And you just slide these like heavy duty questions in that make a person really think. Mm. Like, especially like about the pandemic and about, you know, the like, what you like the biggest challenges or, or like, how do you 
like how do you sleep at night when you when you like I've never been asked those questions in my life and so and I wasn't so there we go again so yes so that's what I mean and just even in some of the other like some of the questions that you ask like I can I can tell when you've got some prepared questions and I can tell when you're really listening and you're and like and and you ask based on the answer Mm-hmm. And that, and because you force people to go deeper, like if you if you've locked in on an answer that you really like, and you want them to go deeper, that's where I love where you go, because mm-hmm. because you're getting more out of them than what you are than what they were prepared to give just on the first, you know, layer. Layer. Okay. You force people to go. Yeah. Because I mean, you've done how many interviews in the past and whatnot? So you've seen different types of how to answer and question. Oh, sure. Yeah. I've, I've done ones where I couldn't stand the person and I knew that I had yeah. to, you know, and I hated everything that they stood for, but you have to do it or, or people who will not give you anything, you know, yeah. and like, it's a wall yeah. and they're very difficult interviews, but you got to get through and how do you do that? You have to find your way in. Yeah. Is yeah, it humor? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. But you do a great job at that. Yeah. You do a great job. Yeah. Gotta, it's funny because I someone had told me, hey, maybe you should like start writing the questions down. But I really don't. I, well, I haven't yet. So what I do is I'll look up somebody and then I'll say, okay, let's go have fun. And we'll see. What's yeah. Fun. Yeah. Wow. That's remarkable because on some of the interviews. Yeah. Huh, I could have sworn that you'd done a, like a ton of research. Research I might have, or I know the person. Yeah. 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 Maybe that. So it's a little easier on that end. But yeah. otherwise, I've never written it down yet. No. But I like I like the way that you tell that you reveal that you know them and it's in the intro. Like it's in the first three minutes where you can where you establish that relationship. Oh, you don't see that often sometimes? No, no. Um. No, no, that's what I, that's one thing that's really unique. That's what I really So, like. so what is that like when someone would just, just converse for a little bit beforehand, before we dive? Yeah. Deep? Yeah. Or before they start rolling. Yeah. They'll have this little like pre-chat, but it's not as authentic as the way you do it. Like, I think like you just, you start right in. And so that's why I was prepared. <laughs> ah, that's pretty cool yeah 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 because i because i've always done interviews where there's a preamble and okay you ready are you rolling okay great let's go but if this is this was not like that and i was surprised by that so i had to be ready mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah cool thanks tara <laughs> thank you very much